These top stories, first impact of the president's talks with Egypt's President Sadat, appears to have broadened Mr. Ford's image as a peacemaker. Vice President Rockefeller said there does not appear to be a pattern of massive wrongdoing by the CIA. Governor Kerry calls for creation of special corporation to help New York City get through its money troubles. Lester Smith reporting next news as it happens, next scheduled news at 11 o'clock. Over WOR Radio 710, the talk of New York. tonight, I'd like to give you a, uh, a uh, tonight's report on the advancement of our society, uh, you know, getting rid of the old Victorian taboos. Have you seen a good Victorian taboo recently? I don't know where you can pick one up cheap these days. I, I just, uh, they're, good. they're getting to be collector's items, you know, and they're very expensive. You know, with the fringe on the bottom, especially the ones with the stained glass, very, very expensive. However, uh, <laughs> speaking of Victorian taboos, uh, I, I don't know quite how to say this, but uh, madness is getting rampant. Uh, I just have to say it. I am on the mailing list of all kinds of cockamamie outfits. I mean, I get more uh, junk mail probably than your average owner of your average authentic junkyard. I get junk mail. I mean, really junk mail. For example, I am on the mailing list of a porny magazine. Now, they send me the magazine all the time. They really do. See, as for promotion. It just comes, you know. It says for promotion. And uh, it comes in a brown sealed wrapper. And it's so funny. The wrapper always has uh, smudge prints all over it uh, of thumbs. Obviously, uh, the mailroom has discovered that, uh, that the plain brown sealed wrapper contains a nice collection of uh, Victorian taboos. 
And uh, so nevertheless, it comes every month, see? And I've been getting this thing for about uh, a year. And they also send me news releases, see, uh, along with it, like a hot flash. Uh, I use that phrase expressively. It says, hot flash. In this week's issue, the exciting story of a Danish pornography photographer on his daily rounds as he auditions lovely, luscious Danish goodies. And uh, it's just a big, special, exclusive story this month. So, you know, it's very exciting. I keep getting these uh, these <laughs> news releases. So the other day, though, I got the final one, I think, which says it all so much today. It says, uh, it says uh, Dear Editor, they keep calling me Editor. Of course, that was the name I was using at one time. Uh, Samuel L. Editor is the name I used when I worked in Lexington, Kentucky. I had a, a wooden walnut gaff going at the time, and, and so that name has persisted and has followed me. So uh, it says, Dear Editor, it says, uh, this is sent for your special consideration. And it was in red type, you know, very important. It said, Due to the fact that our country is still in the grip of old Victorian taboos, and uh, anybody who's walked through Times Square recently knows the Victorian taboos are certainly, certainly really oppressing all the libidos of our of our time. I'm telling you, there's more libidos being repressed by Victorian taboos. One of the saddest things I saw recently was a Sunday school class. Uh, you saw it, Lee. It was a Sunday school class, and they were all assembled on a sidewalk, right in the in Times Square, you know, and their yellow bus was out there, and they all had their little folders, and they were going to go to some big things. They and uh, and they were all standing out on the sidewalk on Times Square. And uh, they all had their little midi blouses on and, the, you know, the clean limb kids. There must have been about 25, 30, maybe 40 of them from somewhere out in Pennsylvania someplace. They were their big yearly trip to New York. See? So here they were, and they were all standing out there, and, and here was the uh, the reverend, and he had the uh, the role, and he was calling the role, and he was standing there looking very very official and this nice big heavy set lady with a corsage was standing next to him and she had her clipboard and they were all set to go out and see the town or do something see but where the irony came in here they were all staying they're looking all excited and they had their little brochures they were standing right under a gigantic marquee and the marquee says sex girls of europe 17 smash porny films XXX rated. <laughs> I mean, it was like the Alpha and the Omega of our time. Uh, I've noticed that, uh, that uh, well, Nathaniel West, you see, can see this kind of stuff. Rex Reed can't. But uh, nevertheless, I'm, I'm standing there, you know, looking at this crowd, and I thought, oh, God, here it is. It's all spread out. I, I guess they don't even see the marquee above them. And the crowd that was going in, to see the triple X-rated sex girls of Europe, dynamic in color, wide erotoscope screen. They're all going in, see, <laughs> and they're walking through the Sunday school class. All these guys, you know, these furtive-looking characters. You know, they had just left the adult bookstore across the street, see, where they're getting adult books, and now they're walking through uh, this this crowd of Sunday school kids going into <laughs> going into. The, these kids are all looking very excited, and. Uh, so I get this this uh, this press release, and it says uh, it says due to Victorian taboos, there are many things. The really good things cannot be said in our magazine. The re ripping aside the curtain of shame, uh, which has so long oppressed the good people of the world, 
And uh, because we can't say many of these things, you ought to see their magazine. I want to tell you, it's the only magazine I've ever seen that that as you you just open up the the brown sea of wrappers, see, and lay it on the desk, it actually, if it's quiet enough in the room, you can hear it sizzling. Uh, it's a it's a fantastic uh, you know, and there's a little smoke coming up off of it, you know, and it's just incredible. And and, uh, and one issue they had actually, Barney, was fantastic. It's the only magazine I've ever seen that actually sweats. The magazine was sweating when I opened it up. It was just, you know, oh, yes, you could, the musk comes drifting out, you know. So at that point, uh, I, I kind of felt good about this. I'm reading this uh, this uh, re- this uh, press release, and it says, we ripped aside the sunder, we sundered the, the uh, curtain of shame. And due to the fact that we can't say many of these things in our magazine, which we would say if ours was a liberated society, well, uh, we have now instituted a special service for editors only. <laughs> and it said under separate wrapper, you will receive the first installment of our special service, the stuff we can't put in our magazine. It's a tape service. So due to the fact that we cannot send out the printed word with this stuff on it, we now have available these tapes the stuff which we cannot put in our magazine due to the ridiculous Victorian taboos. And then underneath it was the final crowning glory. Would you please get ready to give me a little music there? Just hold it for a minute, Barney. With the final crowning glory, it says, feel free to use any of these tapes you desire on your radio program. However, providing you give proper credit where it is due. Let us salute those Victorian taboos which have suppressed so many of us in the last ten years. Oh, God, if those Victorian taboos were not around, just think what we could do. The total, the total enjoyment, the true exploration of life and experience that we could have. Ridiculous Victorian taboos. Hold it, Barney. That's enough. That's enough. I was playing you a little Victorian taboo music. And uh, I kind of like the idea, though. You can't send it through the mail, but you can use it on your radio show. Providing a proper... Here it is, right here. I'm holding it up. Ooh, 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 that damn thing is hot. What the heck? How, how can he make a hot tape like that? It's actually... Oh, I can't... Oh, my hand. Holy smokes. Buddy, quick. Give me a commercial, quick. While I cool my hand here in the water there, quick. For no side get to your corn, so your corns won't get to you. Once you soak your feet in corn side, your corns won't find no place to hide. Cause corn side get to your corn, so your corns won't get to you. Now you can wash away corns and calluses with Cornoside. For thousands of sufferers, it has truly felt like a miracle worker. Cornoside medicated foot bath helps relieve pain in just minutes, so your feet feel refreshed and revived. And right after is a perfect time to use the amazing Cornoside eraser. It leaves your feet feeling smooth. Cornoside, available at all Alexanders. Very good, very good. Hey, listen, I have a special thing here for you tonight. No, I'm not going to play the tape. <laughs> Would you want me to put the tape on, gang? Would you like to hear what it is? I've got it right here, Barney. 
I'm not kidding. If you think I'm inventing all this, uh, I'm not. Uh, I showed this to, the, you know, to my various uh, fellow conspirators here, and uh, there was an immediate, uh, an immediate reaction. One, one reaction was that we ought to make an entire, uh, a weekly show of these tapes. That was the first reaction. Let's see, I'm, I'm trying to put this thing back in this little box here. Oh, wow, is it ever hot? It's just tremendous. And look at it, it's red. The tape is red. I'm fooling around, boy. This is not for... And you notice it comes with absolutely hardly any labeling on it at all. It's very dangerous stuff. I mean, you know, with those Victorian taboos sneaking around in the air conditioning unit all the time, they come sneaking out. But, um... <laughs> hey, listen, uh, speaking of Victorian things, uh, would you like to do a serious type show to me? Yeah, really. I'm, I'm talking about a serious in the sense that uh, about something that is rarely ever uh, talked about yet everybody knows about. It. And uh, before we do that, and, and I think you'll dig it. Uh, I, I do. And before we uh, do it, you know, go any further than this, let's get a couple of these commercials out of the way so we can really do it right. How about the Dodge Dinky, huh? If anybody says you can't beat inflation, tell them to go to Dodge. Waiting at the Dodge Boys now. $200 more in rebates on a new Dart, Tradesman Van, or Light Duty Carry Van. When you buy or lease any new Dodge Dart from stock or a Light Duty Van, you'll get $200 cash back from Chrysler Corporation. The Dart gives you low purchase price, high resale value, and great gas mileage. The Tradesman Maxi Van is the biggest in the business. All you do is make your best deal at the Dodge Boys on a new Dart or Dodge Van. You'll get $200 cash back. But hurry. It's a limited-time offer for retail customers only. One to a customer at participating Dodge dealers. So if anybody says you can't beat inflation... Just tell them you know where they should go. Tell them to go to Dodge. This summer, when you and your family are traveling, relax and refresh yourselves at a Marriott hotel. And take advantage of our summer family plans. One easy toll-free call will give you a special guaranteed rate at any Marriott from coast to coast with a beautiful guest room, two big double beds, and of course the kids stay free in the same room. And we make it fun for them with pools and game rooms at most every Marriott. They even get their own special menu. And for you, there's a candlelit dinner in one of our restaurants and sparkling entertainment in the lounge. This year, your vacation deserves a Marriott hotel. Once you found for reservations and information, 800-228-9290. Well, let's see. Uh, speaking of tapes, uh, we have a... This <laughs> is an odd commercial. Uh, if you have to send important documents or small, small parcels from New York, uh, here's an odd little thing here. President's Choice Courier Air Service will deliver your contracts, your briefs, I guess they don't mean underwear there, do they? <laughs> your contracts, your briefs, your TV, radio tapes, advertising art, building plans, and the like, uh, to as many as 100 cities throughout the U.S. on the same day, normally within hours, and person to person, too. They'll even bring them into New York, if you'd like. President's Choice, only business, is same-day delivery of time. This is the only thing they do. Uh, same-day delivery of time-sensitive documents and parcels. And it's a personalized priority service. So it sounds like uh, if you really need to get something over there fast, 
you should find out about these place. This place. It's called President's Choice Courier Air Service. That's C O U R I Courier Air Service. President's Choice Courier Air Service. And uh, if you'd like to find out about it, if you have anything you got, got to get out of town fast. Six seven five two six zero five. The number is a New York number, of course. Six seven five two six zero five. Now. And as long as we're on the business kick here, there's another goodie here. This is an odd one. There's some strange stuff getting on, on commercials these days, aren't there? Exotic things. Listen to this one. Uh, if you're planning to buy or rent new or used office equipment or buying a typewriter or so on, you should visit American Dictating Machine Company. <laughs> Jim Marino has been running this firm since 1932. That was Bonnie and Clyde's best year. It will be worthwhile to see the fine values of ADM's biggest sale of new and used dictating machines in years. IBM executaries for only $175 in A1 condition. And that's the word, executaries. That's not the same as the executive, is it? No, it's a different machine. Uh, Stenaret embassies, only $160. Norelco model 84 is at $160. Anyway, ADM has all kinds of office equipment and so on at savings up to 50%, and they have a 24-hour repair service. ADM, 5th Avenue and 23rd Street, for typewriters and office equipment, and the number is JU61180. This is Tommy Makeup. I'm sitting in the John Barleycorn, located at 209 East 45th Street, just off 3rd Avenue. John Barleycorn is New York's first and most famous Irish singing pub. If you want a sample of what Irish hospitality is really like, you should come in and soak up the atmosphere. The hospitality is warm, the people are cheerful, and the service is just fantastic. They have an old saying at the Barleycorn, there are no strangers here, only friends you haven't met. And you can prove that to yourself by dropping in any time. You can have lunch, dinner, or supper seven days a week. And a good time all the time. The food is fit for royalty, and as a matter of fact, some of the recipes have been handed down from the ports of Irish kings. The John Barleycorn, the Irish oasis in Midtown Manhattan. I still say Irishmen jump up and down a lot. This is WOR in New York. They certainly do. All that jigging up and down there breaks a lot of dishes. Plays hell with your digestion, too, especially after you're eating some of that Irish food. Look at they're constantly rioting. This is WOR New York. Speaking of riots, we're a laugh riot this station at all times. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> one more commercial, and then we'll get on to our thing. Hey, by the way, uh, to answer a lot of letters and questions, uh, don't call us about uh, tickets to Princeton this coming uh, Friday night. We'll be there this Friday night, boy, and I'm looking forward to this big, big show of the year for me outside of Carnegie Hall. Uh, I play, for those of you who don't know about this, uh, most of my performing uh, is done in colleges. You probably know that, Barney, all around the country. And uh, every year we do a benefit uh, for the Princeton radio station, WPRB, and their, you know, college radio station, just scratching along there. And we have a great time. It's... Uh, it's uh, held always in the springtime during the solstice, you know. It's, well, you know, it all has to do with dancing around the Maypole, Bryn Mawr girls, and fertility rites, and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things we do quite often there is sacrifice a virgin. 
I'll never forget the one last year, Susan. Just fantastic night. And uh, it was great. We, we were very proud because uh, we were only stopped by the police during the show twice. And uh, the, that was an improvement over last year when it was seven times in one hour. So uh, it's an exciting show. And uh, it's at Princeton at Alexander Hall. It'll be at 8 o'clock this coming Friday. Well, I know it's going to be after 8, but don't get there on the, on the mode. You'll be dead, friend. So you better get there about 7 o'clock at least. Uh, the show starts around 8.15, roughly, and it's Alexander Hall, which is right in the heart of Princeton, like a giant concrete toadstool. It sits there. And uh, we have a wonderful time. Uh, it's going to be D-Day, of course, you know, uh, next uh, Friday. And uh, one of our great moments is going to I have this flamethrower, and uh, I've got a wonderful payoff to a gag. Uh, be sure not to sit, though, in the second tier of the balcony. That's where it's going to go. So it's going to be wonderful. We've got well, what we got. We've got a bunch of guys from the radio station dressed up in these fireproof suits, and they're going to come in dressed like stormtroopers. And I'm going to blast them with the flamethrower. Of course, it won't hurt them, but it's going to cause one hell of an excitement, a lot of smoke and meowing. And uh, anyway, it's going to be this Saturday night. <laughs> Gene Shepard live as a big fat bird at uh, Alexander Hall. Hmm? Well, Friday. I'm sorry. What did I say? Did I say Sunday? Friday? Saturday? What difference does it make? Uh, we're, uh, days are only concepts by man. There are no such things as Fridays and Saturdays to the squirrels or to the free spirit. It's one of those ridiculous ancient fetters that was laid on us by Julius Caesar, that crummy Caesar calendar. He did it. Why days? It's only rising of the moon and rising of the sun and down with the moon and down with the sun. That's the way I live, like a tadpole in a pond full of sharks. But uh, nevertheless... Uh, we'll be there Friday for those of you that are bound up by those silly, ridiculous, old-fashioned concepts as days and nights. Get rid of all the fetters that bind us. Let's not even have any years anymore. What the heck? It's 1975. Who says it's 1975? Ah, 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 ah. If I want to call it Squibbly of Spips, that's the year. It's my year. I don't care what you call your year. Although it gets a little confusion when you write down checks, you know, Squibbly of Spips is the year there. This day is Stanley. I like to call this day Stanley. You may call it Monday, I call it Stanley. I don't know your Monday. That's nothing. But uh, nevertheless, we'll be there on your Friday. Your June the 6th. Your Princeton. To me, it is just a spot on the great green sward of God's earth. I do not call it Princeton. I call it, I call it the same ground that Plato trod as he taught his students is the Eternal Academy. And they're also having their uh, big uh, yearly reunion there, and they walk around and get drunk as a skunk, and they, ha, <laughs> my God, I saw this old guy from the class of 93 <laughs> climbing a flagpole wearing a straw hat. Oh, unbelievable. He was dating a monkey. But uh, nevertheless, uh, she was only about two and a half feet tall, but boy, oh boy, was she something. Uh, we will be there this, this Friday. And if you want to find out about tickets, all right, I'll get I have numbers, 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 numbers. Yeah, I'm surrounded by numbers. Everywhere I go, numbers, numbers. Ah, here it is, here it is. You can call WPRB for tickets. Uh, tickets. Uh, it's, uh, the number is 921-9284. 921-9284. Area 609. Okay, that's enough of that. One more commercial, and then on to the curtain raiser. 
Fly Aeromexico, the airline of Mexico to Mexico soon. Aeromexico, Aeromexico. Aeromexico, the airline that takes you to Mexico City and on to Acapulco on El Grande, our wide-body DC-10. Aeromexico, Aeromexico. Aeromexico is the only airline to offer you first-run movies as well as stereophonic music on your flight down to Mexico City. And to make your trip even better, Aeromexico has over a thousand Aeromexico quality-approved tours to Mexico. There's bound to be one just for you. See your travel agent or call Aeromexico, the airline of Mexico, and fly with us soon. Okay, fine. Uh, now, uh, I would, uh, at this point, like to uh, to uh, very seriously uh, say something here. You know, I've been delighted uh, in some ways and sort of sickened in others at the, the current vast interest in... Uh, for want of a better name, I think it's unfortunately kind of a put-down name, but uh, uh, I suppose you can say Americana. Uh, this is getting to be a, a really, you know, almost a national mania, which in some senses is good because I think it gives us a sense of the national identity. I think a lot of people, particularly people who live in the big cities, don't really relate to the fact that they are Americans. They they keep thinking of themselves as New Yorkers or uh, Greeks or... Uh, or Chicago, or whatever it might be. And uh, we are a genuine nationality now. And since we're coming into the the big bicentennial uh, celebration, you're going to hear a lot of stuff. And most of the, unfortunately, most of the celebration seems to be concerned only with uh, the revolution. It seems to me what we ought to do is celebrate the, pre, the, the last 200 years, you know, what's, what's made our country what it is, rather than just the fact that uh, on this day, uh, Patrick Henry said, uh, you know, and so on. Uh, but uh, I'll do it in my own little way. And one of the things that, uh, that I think should be celebrated during this centennial, bicentennial, excuse me, is, I suppose you might say, the whole world of American aesthetics, uh, which very quickly deviated from the, the European aesthetics, which were very popular uh, when the first settlers came over here into this country, and they began to develop their own style and uh, their own kind of uh, music and art. There's nobody, for example, in all of Europe who even remotely resembles uh, a great painter which operated in the 19th century. Uh, I'll give you a, a little quiz here. A painter who painted the West primarily. Who was that, Lee? You would probably know that. Great, uh, he did great uh, paintings of uh, of uh, cowboys. What was his name? That's right, Whippy Jones. Uh, so it looks like you said. I'll just see whether you know. We'll just give you. Yeah, right. That's correct. And what was his first name? That's right, Frederick Remington. And uh, this, of course, he created a great sensation in Europe when uh, when Remington's work began to be seen because there was nothing in Europe like it. Uh, he, the whole genre that he chose, his colors, for example, were specifically American. Why? Well, because he wrote, prim he, he drew primarily in the West. And as you know, if you've traveled throughout the West, uh, the, the colors out there are primarily ochres and browns and 
and burnt greens and stuff, and that was his colors. Now, in addition to that, uh, there were other great uh, artists who, who set the tone for America. For example, there was a great American uh, who came later who did that for the city. Who was that? Uh, he was from Philadelphia. All right. His name is Henry, Robert Henry, H-E-N-R-I. And he was the uh, he was the guy that painted the great city street scenes. In fact, you've probably seen examples of it. Uh, the, one of his most famous uh, uh, pictures was real, uh, uh, in a sense, a milestone was a thing called Sunday Morning, and it just shows a, a, a line of red brick buildings on a on a street in a city. You ever seen that? Just a curious, moody quality to it. And uh, again, this uh, nothing like that was seen in Europe. Uh, they, they, uh, uh, and American writers who who established a whole uh, genre of writing. Certainly, one of the best is Mark Twain. You know, they appreciate our writers more overseas than they do here. I'm talking about real American writers. Uh, Mark Twain uh, is, is, you know, he's just admired vastly in Europe because he wrote about an American experience which none of them had ever had. Uh, uh, he wrote a life on the Mississippi. is probably the greatest book that he wrote, and uh, that that uh, to me uh, is probably one of the most successful books in ever in the history of publishing in Europe, uh, where people are fascinated by a whole continent laying. And of course, we accept it. So all these people created the American aesthetic, uh, and and the, the Europeans still look at us with great fascination. You see, for example, Alastair Cook, who is an Englishman. And uh, he can't get enough of examining America. I, I personally am that way. I, I, my, my show, my television show, Gene Shepard's America, which was basically an examination of America. Uh, we'll go back on the air in July, by the way, if you want to watch. It'll be on PBS network across the country July through October. Uh, in writing, uh, I've, I've found that most of the people who react to my work are European, curiously enough. Did you know that Punch uh, did a satire of Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories? <laughs> the New Yorker probably doesn't even know it exists. And so the, the European, he can look at us, you see, and see what's coming out. And for that reason, I think in this 200th anniversary, we ought to start talking about the things which we have created, which were unique. I'm talking about the art world, not necessarily the art, but the culture, the culture of our of our of our world. Andy Warhol is specifically American. Uh, and, uh, and of course that's uh, contemporary. But then you go all the way back to the earliest writers uh, and uh, painters and you find that beginning already to emerge in those earliest days. For example, uh, Ambrose Bierce, whom uh, a lot of people will, will classify as one of the great bitter satire, satirists of the, the Devil's Dictionary of the late uh, 1800s. And uh, he set the tone of a cynical, hard-boiled American writer. There was nobody like that in Europe, that kind of cynical, hard-boiled, uh, put-down writer, in a sense, a kind of a Lenny bruise of the printed page. They didn't have that in Europe. Their sat satirists were generally much more classical and uh, far more, uh, uh, in a sense, uh, less r r cutting. One of the great American writers who set a tone, and uh, he's kind of an eclipse today, but I think by... Uh, the year probably 1990, he'll have a great comeback. Will be H. L. Mencken. Uh, Mencken was another one, but uh, these were all the great Americans who came and went and uh, had their say and established the, the tenor of our world. Now, probably the 
The biggest cliche of all, though, is what America has done in the world of music. Uh, our music uh, has, has literally revolutionized the world's music. You can't listen to even the Russian composers today without hearing echoes of Gershwin, uh, certainly echoes of, uh, of uh, earlier jazz musicians. Now, back in the 19th century, now we're getting into something. America was also a technical country. It was one of the first countries, really, where everybody in the country was fascinated by technical things, the cars, and the, we were one of the first countries that everybody wanted a typewriter. We had electric light bulbs hanging. After all, Edison was the consummate basement uh, do-it-yourselfer. We call it inventor, but he, he was, you know, he's really hung on his, the Wright brothers and all these people. Henry Ford, and there were other inventors in, in Europe, but it was a common grassroots movement in America. In other words, the inventor was a grassroots character in America. Every American had a, had a dream of inventing something that would be greater than a safety pin. Uh, how many times have you heard that cliche? And you know, the guy that invented the safety pin, just to say, he made millions. <laughs> so every American has had this fugitive dream of, of coming up with this funny thing made out of a rubber band which automatically would revolutionize the world and make him rich and famous and he can buy Cuba. But uh, one of the uh, great, uh, I suppose you can say one of the great contributions uh, to uh, the world music is rarely discussed. It combined technique, in other words, technicality. It combined technicians. It combined technicians and aesthetics in a curiously American way. And it happened right after the Civil War. There were three or four inventors, a guy named Needham, among others. Uh, he was given general credit for being one of the first patentees. Uh, they began to explore the idea of producing music. Now, up to this point, music was something people played. Producing music in a mechanical way. So... Uh, that that uh, had been there have been several other experiments uh, around the world to do that, but it never caught on. Not like it would in America, because America was already pro uh, technology, and so these guys began to experiment with the idea of producing music in a, in a technical fashion. Now, when they did it, they they they. They tried several uh, instruments. You know, most people would think in terms of automatically the the uh, the piano, you know, the the uh, uh, piano roll, the automatic piano. But did you know that they had uh, they had uh, automatically operated violins? Did you know that? Did you know that they also had had banjos that played themselves? Yes, they did with rolls. They not only had banjos, uh, they had pipe organs, giant pipe organs that would sit there and play you the entire B minor mass uh, all by itself. They, and, and they were always doing this stuff. Well, well the, the, uh, the old player piano was truly an American thing, and it took off like a bomb. As a matter of fact, in the year 1900, there were more pianos produced, piano players, player pianos produced, then the population uh, was growing. In other words, if the population was growing by 700,000 people a month, and the population was growing fantastically in 1900, they were producing more player pianos. Everybody wanted a player piano, and everybody had Like today, television, everybody's going to have one. And, uh, and now this was before the world of jazz, though. See, a lot of the music that they played, and they put on these pianolas, as they call them, uh, they also called them the aeolian. 
the Aeolian, incidentally, was a brand name. So was Pianola. Actually, they were really technically player pianos. But uh, the, you know how the word today, the people say Victrola. Well, that's a, a brand name. Victrola was the RCA one. But here is an example now. Uh, if you've never actually heard a real player piano, uh, these are, are transcriptions taken directly from a player piano. And it's a great collection. Uh, there is some research going on, and I'd like to suggest more, because I, I, I must say that I was one of the first guys to suggest this, that the, that the early jazz musicians, I'm talking about the people that came out of New Orleans back around 1890, 1889, up through that period, were vastly influenced by the player piano. This is the music they actually heard. Hardly anybody recognizes the influence of the player piano on the Buddy Boldens and the people uh, who came later in, in the jazz history. Now, uh, the people of that period, uh, in 1880, 1890, 1870, all that period, up through right after the Civil War, 1863 on, uh, there was a curious mixture of what could be called uh, proletarian taste, and yet everybody wanted to have a elegance in the living room. Uh, there was a desire for culture. Uh, in the old European sense, and so people would buy prints of uh, of uh, Rembrandt and hang them in their living room, even though they were living on a, a desperate farm out in the Dakotas someplace. And here's an example of that. This is one of the first examples of a player piano roll that combines that curious taste, but that curious overtone of symphonic uh, culture. And it's a piece of music called Bubbling Spring that was very, very popular in the late 1870s on the player pianos of the period. And it was heard by all kinds of people, probably including uh, uh, the statesmen. That's the one you've got up there. That's the first one I gave you. You got it in there? Okay. This is taken directly from a player piano, and it is a player piano playing it. It's not a man uh, transcribing it. And this is the way it sounded. <laughs> quality of, uh, of, of what could be called really uh, middle ground classical music, but at the same time it has overtones of popular music. Now for those of you who are curious about the people that were affected by player pianos, among them was the famous Scott Joplin. Uh, Scott Joplin, who wrote uh, uh, the, well, most people would know it as the, the theme music of the Sting, uh, the Maple Leaf Rag, and all those great rags that he wrote, he was a great listener to and player for these pianos. He played on these things.
play some more of this. We've only got about five minutes, so take that one off, Barney. That was that was called uh, R- uh, Rippling Spring, and uh, it was very popular and one of the biggest sellers of the period on the piano rolls. People would go out and buy a roll, you see, just the way we buy an LP today. They'd go out and buy a roll, and they'd bring it home and, and put it on the piano, and it was a fantastic moment when a new roll would arrive and a whole new song would be heard. Now... About 1880, now now what I want you to do is to get the sunburst rag up. Sunburst rag. Uh, you find it. Well, I'll, I'll hold it down here and just cue it up. Sunburst rag. I believe it is on side two, possibly. Okay, you got it? Okay, now hold it there. Now the rag, uh, you, you've heard the expression rag time, was a specific American form of music, and this really swept the world. And it affected many jazz performers. Ragtime was a combination of many types of music, and it was pre-jazz, really. And Scott Joplin was probably the most famous of all the rag composers. However, there was another man who was considered even better uh, at the time as a rag composer. His name is James Scott. This was done on a U.S. music roll, and it was a big smash hit. Uh, roughly in the early 19, or rather early 1890s, and it's called Sunburst Rag by James Scott. So if you think the sting uh, was unique, listen. And this was a tremendous hit during the gay 90s, during the so-called gaslight era. If you go into the technicality of them, they represent, they represent a, a, a curious offshoot of the earlier French minuet. Yes, they do. Uh, and, and it can be traced right through that. who actually played this. You see, these piano players were anonymous for the most part, but they were highly paid. It took a great technical artistry to be able to cut one of these piano rolls. You had to cut it right the first time. You couldn't go back and edit the tape. <laughs> and they had a special piano. As they would play it, it would, it would perforate the tape as it went through. Sunburst rag. Of the 
great American sounds, which have really revolutionized world music. Uh, I think among all the arts, I don't think uh, there's one other, one art that represents more a really an American art than music, particularly popular music. You know, the idea of popular music was almost unknown until around the year 1900. There were popular songs, but uh, America, with uh, all of its uh, Tin Pal Alley and its it's George Gershwin's and that whole crowd. By the way, did you know that Gershwin uh, earned uh, a great part of his early livelihood playing for piano roll companies, making piano rolls when he was totally unknown? And uh, Gershwin piano rolls still exist, where, uh, you know, Gershwin was just playing somebody else's music, popping away there, doing his job. But the piano roll pianists were highly paid. They were great technicians. And... Uh, a lot of the music uh, was very original and written for piano rolls. And so the next time we come out with this uh, piano roll thing, which will be sometime later in the week, I'll play some music that was written only for piano rolls. It can only be played on piano rolls. Very complicated stuff. Uh, this is WOR New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.